Father, we worship you as the great I am. God, we thank you, God, for the love that you poured out on us. We sing hallelujah to the Lamb. Jesus, we love you. God, we pray that you'd speak to us through your word. God, have your way in our hearts this morning. God, we love you, and we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The life of David. You know, if, if you were in an airplane and you were looking down 30,000 feet and you were evaluating the life of David, you would come away with, he was a man after God's own heart like God said he was. You would think about all the wonderful achievements he made, how he was able to defeat enemies, how he was able to defeat Saul and how God used him. Uh, you would talk about uh, how he was able to get the nation of Israel to come together. But if you get a microscope and you look at different parts of David's life, you would have a completely different opinion. There are some things about David that you go, man, what a failure, what a loser, what a knucklehead. And then the very next thing takes place, the next event, and you would go, man, a man after God's own heart, man ought to be like David. And, and studying the life of David and trying to learn from him, it's like you're on a roller coaster. You know, you're up, things are good, things are making sense, things are where perhaps they ought to be, and then boom, the, the bottom drops out, and very quickly you're down to the bottom. And then you come up again and down again, up again and down again. Okay, 2 Samuel chapter 6, we see the roller coaster. First of all, he wants to move the Ark and the Covenant to Jerusalem. Great idea. Good, good intentions from David. So he takes 30,000 men. He means business. If anybody would think God that David is not serious about God, you would say, now, he got 30,000 men to go with him. He's serious about this. He's not going to let anything get in the way. He's not going to shortcut anything. He, he got all those troops together, and you can imagine the logistics of 30,000 men going one place. That had been a very difficult maneuver to make, and, but David makes it. However, he doesn't look at the fine print. He doesn't really ask the right questions for the right people. And God has clearly said that you are not to move the ark in any other way, but it be carried by men. And what does he do? He puts the ark on a cart. Not only did he put the ark on the cart, but God's word said you can't touch the cart. Nobody can lay hands on the cart. And poor Uzzah, you know, the, the oxen that are pulling the cart, when they come to the threshing floor, they stumble, and, and it's just common sense. Reach out there and grab that. It's just reaction. You know, just reach out there and grab that cart, and boom, he died right there on the spot. God says God was angry at him. And so David goes from high jubilation. When they're moving that cart down the road, David is beside himself with worship. 
And then all that happens, and now David is so mad at God, he can't see straight. He can't think straight. He is mad at God for taking Uzzah. And he just, he's beside himself. He goes back home for three months, and he's seething about that. And he gets word that Obed-Edom's house has been blessed by the presence of of the ark, and everything's okay. And so he goes, let's go get her again. This time they carry the ark properly. Nobody touches it. And he went from way down low at the bottom. You would think if you had a microscope on him, David, you are a loser. And just as quickly as he falls down, David rises up. And he worships with all of his heart. The ark is moved to the city of David. They got a tent for it. It's in place. They can honor God. From their understanding of what it means to honor God, they are now able to honor God. He's at the top of the world. Everyone is worshiping that's out there in that street. Everyone is celebrating. And and David gives them date cakes and raisin cakes, and they have all this celebration going on. And And the scripture tells us in 2 Samuel 6 that then David goes home to bless his own family. And what happened? Mikhail meets him on the way and they have it out. If they were in the kitchen, they would have thrown plates and cups at each other. They have it out big time. They go back and their tongue is sharp. They cut that baloney thin and they go back and David criticizes her and her family and she criticizes his dignity. What kind of king dances around like this in front of all these servant girls? And David says, I'll tell you one thing. You may not think that my dancing around is any big deal, but them servant girls like it. That's what he told her. So David goes from what we would say on top of the world with, with worship, with spiritual activity. And then, just like that, he's down at the bottom. So, you ever, you ever wonder why it is that sometimes in a family getting ready for church is, it's just a knockdown drag out, isn't it? Got to get ready. You go to church, at church, you may have a great time, a great experience. Maybe there's something that you learn, something you experience. The Spirit of the Lord speaks to you and you feel the presence of God and, and you heard the truth and, and you went, that was for me. And you go home and you get a phone call that afternoon and you're right back down to the bottom again. Right? No care in the world. I have victory. I'm going to celebrate. This week, I'm ready. I'm going to serve the Lord every single day. And you go home and your boss calls and says, by the way, something broke at the work and this happened, that happened. You go, gosh, I got to go face all that. And, and it, maybe your life is like the life of David, up, down, up, down. Now, the truth of the matter is we're all like that to a certain degree. Maybe some up than others, maybe some down than others. Now, here's a point I'm trying to share with you today to get ready for chapter 7. That's the kind of people that God has chosen to reveal himself to our world. 
Now, the reason why I know that's the kind of people God has chosen to reveal himself to the world is because that's the only kind of people God has. That's all he's got. All he's got is us, David-like people. Now, we, some of us may not be considered having a heart after God, but maybe the life of David might help us a little bit with that. And we can learn from David what were the things that helped him become a man after God's own heart. We know it wasn't the words he said to Michal. We know it wasn't when he went to Goth. We know it wasn't when he, he identified with the world, and he compromised, and he lived among the Philistines. We know that's not it, but we do know it's it when he's in that cave, when, when Saul came to relieve himself, and David had an opportunity to reach up there and grab him by the neck and choke him out and didn't do it. He didn't do it. He showed him grace. He showed him mercy. He did not dishonor God's honorable. He did not hurt God's anointed. And David was a man after God's own heart because when he walked with God, man, he really walked with God. Now, it is also true when his, when his heart was off a little bit, when his feelings were hurt, when his ego was damaged, when, when he got his, when his humanity began to take over, not so much. But we're all humans. David was a human being. He had humanity like we got humanity. And the crazy thing is, you think about the weakness of human beings is what God has chosen to do the most important thing in all the world, make himself known but he uses people just like you and me. Up and down, broken, wounded. Sometimes we're right, most of the times we're wrong. Sometimes we do the right thing, but there are times we do the right thing for the wrong reason. There are times that our selfishness can't be controlled. Even in the course of worship and religion, we find our selfishness being out of control. And that's who God chose. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 7. So now we see David at his best. Very quickly, he went from his worst to his best. Verse 1, when King David was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all the surrounding enemies... The king summoned Nathan the prophet. We're going to learn more about him later. Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace. I think you should cut down all the cedars too. Cut them down. But the ark of God is out there in a tent. That's a good idea. That's a good thought David has. You know, here I am in my cedar palace. I'm strutting around here. I've got my balcony. I've got my porch. Man, I'm living the high life here. I'm in tall cotton here. It's, this is where I need to be. But that ark is out there in a tent. I'm in a palace. The ark is in a tent. We need to do something about that by George. And Nathan replied to the king, go ahead and do whatever you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. Nathan says, by... Yes, let's make much of God. Absolutely, David, you are right. 
The Ark of the Covenant represents God. It represents his presence. It's what God used as his vessel, as an instrument. Remember, on top is the mercy seat. Inside is a jar of manna, the Ten Commandments, and the staff of Aaron. All those things point us to being right with God, Jesus. Man, let's celebrate. Let's honor God. Let's be sure that we as the leadership do all we can to honor God. That's what we ought to do. Honor God. Honor God. That should be our heart. After all, the Lord saved us from sin, saved us from death, has saved us from hell. Let's honor God. The Lord strengthens us when we are weak. Let's honor God. The Lord gives us the ability to face problems and hardships and struggles and, 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 and just disabling things that just take the wind out of ourselves. By all means, let's honor God. Let's put our best foot forward. Let's give our very best. We should do that. We should honor God. It's reasonable that God's people would honor God. As God has done so much for us, let's do so much for him. Let's make much of him. That really should be our desire, shouldn't it? If you ever wondered why David was a man after God's own heart, you got a little glimpse of that right here. David's sitting around and goes, I don't like it that the Ark of the Covenant is not in as good a place as I'm in. Not in as good a place as I am. We should honor the Lord. We should glorify the Lord. It should be our greatest desire. It was David's greatest desire. There's nothing wrong with his desire. David just sitting around going, we need to make much of God. We need to be sitting around on our back porch, our front porch, under the tree, wherever your relaxing place is, before the fireplace. You need to be sitting around and you need to be, Lord, I desire to make much of you. Now, what do I need to do to do that? How can I make much of you at work? How can I make much of you at school? How can I make much of you in the neighborhood? How can people around know that the most important thing in my life, God, is you in response to everything you have done for me? So we leave David here going, my, 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 David. There you go. There you go. I'm almost forgetting about his war with Mikhail. Almost forgetting about it. Look what he's done here. Look what's happening. But you know what? The Lord said no. The Lord said, David, good intentions, I suppose. Nothing wrong with what you're proposing. Nathan didn't say anything wrong with it. But God said no. Did you know that sometimes God says no to you? That's a real difficult thing for us. Because if we mean well, if we have good intentions, if it's a good plan, then by all means, God should bless that because our understanding of God is that he's like Santa Claus. He gives us what we ask for. That's not the way God is. And God told David no, and he told him no through Nathan, verse 4. But that same night, the Lord said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord has declared. Are you the one to build a house for me to live in? I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. I have always moved from one place to another with a tent and a tabernacle as my dwelling. 
Yet no matter where I've gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's tribal leaders. The shepherds of my people Israel, I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? I love that language. I love the conversation that the Lord is having with Nathan as Nathan puts it down, reckon Nathan's own idea. But I've never come to the people of Israel after all I've done for them and said, where's my house? Where's my house? Why haven't you built me a house? He said, I've lived in the tent. I lived in the tabernacle. Never once have I ever complained about not having a house. I'm okay with not having a house. Now go and say to my servant David, verse 8, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now, I will make your name as famous as as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, King David's name today is as famous as anyone else who's ever lived on the earth, isn't he? Yeah. Unbelievers know about David. People name their kids David, right? David a, is a respected name. People know about David. Now, now think about what God's telling him here. I delivered the, my people from Israel. I don't need a house. Didn't need one then. Not asking for one now. And, and by the way, I took a shepherd boy and I put him in the highest position of my people's land. And, and, and you're going to be as famous as anyone else has ever been. And verse 10 says, and I will provide a homeland for my people Israel. And I will provide a homeland for my people Israel, planting them in a secure place where they, where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you, a dynasty of kings. Verse 12, for when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. He says no to David. Now we understand he said yes to Solomon, David's son. He said no to him. No, David, no. Now, wait a minute, God. You know, you would think that would be the response. What's wrong with the idea? What's wrong with me building you a temple? What's wrong with me making something really, really fabulous for you? Man, I, I've already got word down Chip and Joanna Gaines are going to come up and design it for me. We're going to have that board, what's it called? Ship plat or platted ship or something all over the house. We're going to take those cedar posts and we're going to really dress them up. It's going to be really pretty. 
the Lord said, no, 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 David, no. You probably poured your heart out going through some hard times. And you're requesting the Lord to work in a way. You're petitioning the Lord. You're craving, you're begging, you're pleading. You're just pouring out your heart to him. And you're saying, Lord, you need to do this. You need to do this this way. And this is why you need to do this. And you just pour out your heart. And the Lord says no. He says no. No. Why? Because it's not my will, God says. It's not what's for you. Do you realize that when God says no, he's got something else in store? Now, God's already built up his understanding of God's activity in his life. David, this is what I've done around you. This is what I've done in you. And this is what I'm going to do. I'm establishing in you a dynasty that lasts forever. That's what he says here in verse 13. After he says, he is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. And it says just right after that, and I will, con I will secure his royal throne forever. Now, verse 14, this is kind of fun, I think. I will be his father and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Now, this person that God is raising up to be the one that builds the temple is a human because he sins. It says here, if he sins, I will correct him. Now, we are going to learn about Jesus in just a moment, but this is not Jesus. This is not Jesus who God is talking about at this point. But verse 16 is Jesus. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. And now listen to this. Listen real closely. Don't, don't lose this here. And your throne will be secure forever. 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 Now. Look over in Matthew chapter 1, just briefly. <clears throat> Matthew 1.1, 1, 1. this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. You got 14 generations there going on, Abraham down to David, and then David on down to Joseph. Mary gives birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah in verse 16. That was announced, agreed upon 
right here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Through your offspring, through your descendants, I am going to put in place a kingdom that will last forever. Now, the kingdom has changed. The kingdom is not like their understanding of kingdom. It's better. It's better. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Lord of all. And, and what we have going for us is Jesus of David. Jesus, the son of David, reigns forever and ever and ever. There's no one more powerful than he is. There's no one bigger than he is. There's no one stronger than he is. There's no one who's been able to do what Jesus has done. Jesus is the son of God. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. And it was promised to David. David, you're not building the temple, but your offspring will. He had in mind Solomon, by the way, maybe less perfect than David is. Maybe it depends on what part of his life it looks like. And if you go through here, you see that what God has chosen to work with, because that's all he has, and you go through and read Matthew chapter 1, all of the ancestry of Jesus were a bunch of people with all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues. Not a perfect one among the bunch. Some better than others, but most of them imperfect. All of them imperfect. Imperfect people that God has chosen to make himself known <coughs> in this world. All right. So you have David having a good desire, God saying no, and God saying, I have a better plan. Now, one of the lessons we can learn from this is when the Lord tells you no, rejoice because you know the Lord's got something better in mind. He knows what is best for you. When he says no, don't pitch a fit, don't get angry, don't get mad, don't get bitter and resentful. He may not want you to play golf like Tiger Woods. Quit praying for it. The promotion may be wrong for you. It may be the worst thing to ever happen to you. You ever know someone that life is really going pretty good? They're finding peace. They're in their sweet, pot, sweet spot. Their rhythm of life is going good. And they elevate that person into a new position with more responsibility and, and more headaches. And, and they become just sour milk. It, life is horrible. And they trace it back. The life became unbearable for them when they got that promotion. They were excited at first, but then realized what was involved, and they're in over their head, and, it's, and maybe it's not where God wanted them to be. But the human side of us always says yes to a promotion, always says yes to more money, always says yes to more notoriety, doesn't it? Always says, yeah, that's me, that's me, and more notoriety, yeah, that's me, be noticed, yep, that's me may not be you. You may not be the one to build the temple. You may not even be around when it's built. You're not going to get to go to the groundbreaking of it. It's not for you. Now, we don't know why it wasn't for David. Maybe because Solomon was going to be so much smarter and wiser. Maybe. Who knows? But it wasn't for David. What is your response 
When the Lord tells you no, what is your response? Let's look at David's response. Once again, David, he's outshining himself now. I mean, in chapter 7, David rises to the occasion. Verse 17. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord has said in a vision. Then, so after hearing, no, David, you're not the one to build it, but I'm going to make your name more famous than anybody else in the world, as famous as anybody else in the world. And oh, by the way, in, in, I'm, going to, I'm going to create an eternal kingdom through your family. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. Who am I? That's a good statement right there. Good place to begin for all of us. Just simply, David says, God, you're God and I'm not. There you go. We get in a lot of trouble when we don't say that. We get in a lot of trouble when we won't admit that. You're God and I'm not. Basically, we fight God when he tells us no. What are you doing, God? How could you do this? Where are you? Why don't you care for me? After all the things I've done for you, after all I put up with, I, I serve you like nobody's business. I serve you when nobody else will. Why in the world would you let me, your chosen vessel, go through all this? But David begins with, who am I, O sovereign Lord? He recognizes that the Lord is sovereign. He recognizes he's sovereign. The Lord is sovereign. He's a ruler. He's in control. He's in charge. He's on his throne. The Lord has the right to say no. Who am I, O sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. Do you see where his focus is? His focus is not on what God said no to. His focus is on what God said yes to. I mean, how many of us would have missed that? We'd have been so obsessing on we don't get to build a temple and we would have missed the beauty, the, just the, the, the awesomeness of dynasty, eternal dynasty for my family. I'm blown away here, Lord. I can't believe that you're giving me a lasting dynasty. And he says, do you deal with everyone else this way, O Lord, O sovereign Lord? Oh my, I can't believe you're treating me like this. Is this how you treat everybody else with this kind of grace and, and, and this kind of, of exalting? What more can I say to you? You know what your servant is really like. Wow. He didn't gripe about God saying no. He rejoiced in what God said yes to, and he is blown away because he recognizes what he's really like. Now, speculation on my part, but I think every time he saw Mikhail, David went, I'm one sorry sucker. Ugh. But I'm in so deep, I can't retreat, I can't go backwards. My ego won't let me. I can't say I'm wrong, I can't say. And so, David, we understand in Psalm 32 and Psalm 34, we understand that David understood what it was like to be guilty of sin. And we'll see more of that as time goes on in our study. 
But here he says, what more can I say to you, Lord? Giving me this grace, giving me this mercy, taking just this reprobate like you've taken and doing all this stuff for my family. Me and my family, you know what your servant is really like. I'm scum. That's what David's saying to God. Sovereign Lord, because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. And so he begins by saying, who am I? You are God and I am not. Sovereign Lord, Lord, you know what I'm really like and you've done this in spite of what I'm really like. That's grace. David sees the grace. And then in verse 22, how great you are. How great you are. Oh, sovereign Lord, there is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. Now, you wonder why God said that David was a man after his own heart? Because David recognized that the Lord was sovereign, that there was no one as great as he is, and God likes that. God honors that. When we live that there's no one quite like God, God smiles. He's exalted. He's glorified. When you make decisions as if, you know, God, there's no one quite like him. I'm going to make much of him. God delights in that. He delights it when we worship him, when we honor him, because he knows it's best for us. Oh, sovereign Lord, there is no one like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. Verse 23, what other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation? Oh, God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and drove out the nations and gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever, and you, O oh Lord, became their God. And oh, by the way, there's no one quite like you. So he's in a intense, close communication with God. And he just says, when I take inventory of all that you've done and all who you are, there's no one quite like you, God. There's no one quite like you. That's where David shined. David didn't say he understands everything. David didn't say I got it all figured out. He said, there's no one quite like you, God. And your no is a lot better than any of our yeses. O Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I've been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you have revealed all this to your servant saying, verse 27, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. I'm accepting your plan, God. Your plan is better than my plan because there's no one quite like you. There's no one quite like you, God. David is saying to God, Lord, obviously you're right. I'm not the one to build the temple. I'm not the one to do it. And you are wonderful. You are great. Then he says, for you are God, O sovereign Lord. And once again, I'm not. That's the, that's the uh, 
tenseness of this. You, for you are God, O sovereign Lord, your words are truth. And you have promised these good things to your servant. Now, David is taking inventory of the promises. And it's enough. It's enough. It's enough for David's life. You know, if you'll take inventory of God's promises and you will embrace them, acknowledging there's no one quite like God, acknowledging that God knows how you really are, and yet you still have promises, I believe it's absolutely enough for you. It's enough. We don't need anything else but his promises. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. For God so the world, he gave his only son, and whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. If we will confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of all our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. For the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Do not let your heart be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many, many rooms. Sometimes they say that's mansions. I'm okay with a hut out by the creek. But I'll hut, house, dog house, I'm in. And then Jesus said, if it weren't so, I'd have told you. I would have told you that it's so if it is not so. That's Jesus. That's this Jesus whose dynasty has been established forever. You can count on God's promises. And David writes down these promises, or he didn't write them down. He takes a mental note. He's taking inventory, and he says, your words are truth. Understand, God's words are truth. This scripture is truth. Read his words. Follow his guidance. See that they're true. And when God promises, rejoice in the promise. Rest on the promise, and know that what God has said, he will do. He will do do not let your heart be troubled trust in God trust also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so I would have told you and when your house is ready I will come and take you to be where I am Thomas said we don't know where that is never been that way never been there never drove down that highway never went down that farm market road and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Yep, those are promises. Those are promises. Jesus said about heaven, it's a place where there's no more tears, no more hurting, no more headache, no more pain, no more agony, no more hospitals, no more cancer wards, no more funeral homes, no more emergency rooms, not need for it, no doctors. No preachers, thank goodness. No lawyers. I don't even think there's going to be any plumbers. No need. 
No need for it. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. Eternal. Hallelujah. I'm with you on that. An eternal blessing. We don't comprehend eternity. We can't do it. It's beyond our calculations. When I was a kid, science teacher told me that space goes on forever and ever. I get a headache. I'd never been anywhere it went on forever. There was always an end to it somewhere. The road ends, right? The trail ends. The game ends. Things end. There's a time limit. You just, you just can't drive across the country. You're going to stop at an ocean. And even if you go north and south, you're going to either stop in the cold or you're going to stop with whatever's down there. Cold, I guess. Ocean, water. You can't drive. You just can't go everywhere. But they said that that vast universe thing goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And then you get to go out to places like Martha and Alpine and Mertzen and things, and you see the stars, you're going, there is really no one like God. And that eternity is for us in Jesus. Praise the Lord for David. He just like us. One day, looking pretty good. Next day, David, you're a knucklehead. One day you want to be like David. The next day you never want to be like him. One day you want to hug his neck. The next day you want to slap him. Human. Human. But think about this. Say it again. I want it to really sit in. God's chosen humans to make himself known in this world because that's the only humans he's got is the imperfect ones. That's you and me with grace. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, this word from 2 Samuel chapter 7. I pray, Lord, I've been faithful to what you said to say and how to say it. I pray your spirit will work in hearts. Maybe there's some you need to show how much you love them. Maybe there's others you to show how big you are today. Maybe there's some that needs to believe in you as Lord and Savior. Maybe there's some that need to confess their sin today and get right with you, Lord, and admit that they have sinned against you. And they're right now feeling the, the pain of conviction of sin. And they are lacking peace and they are lacking understanding and they are lacking, Father, knowing all is well. And I pray your spirit will work. There are some today, Lord, who need to be comforted, Lord. I pray your spirit will work. We love you and praise you. And, Father, we come to honor you. You are worthy of us making much of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.